Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network. I am Pat Rulo. Today, I'm so thrilled and honored to share a recent Firebird Book Award winning author with you. She is June Gillum, and the winning book is titled Nest of White Crows. June writes the Hillary Broom crime novel series, inspired by her obsession with what makes ordinary people mad enough to kill. She's a native of the Central Valley and lives cradled between California's coastal range and the Sierra Nevada mountains. She loves the company of writers and readers and was honored with a Jack London Award for her service to the writing community. June's work is published through her imprint, Gorilla Girl, Inc. And we've got lots to find out today, so let's get rolling. Welcome to the network, June. Thank you. So glad to be here. I'm glad you're here, too, and congratulations on winning the Firebird Book Award. I was super thrilled to come in second. Oh, my goodness. And it's such an exciting, uh, beautiful logo that you give for the winners. The prize icon is just gorgeous. So I've been sharing it all over my social media. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the compliment. It is striking. And the Book Award stickers, they're different than everyone else because they're not gold, silver, or bronze. They're that black and red. And so they really do stand out. So thank you for appreciating the Firebird. (laughs) In fact, it fits right in at the Top of the tail of the black crow on the cover of Nest of White Crow. You know, that actually makes me think that when people are designing covers, they should have book award circles in mind so that they could leave space for the award sticker. Absolutely, absolutely should do that. I was at a two-day author's event at our local library, mm-hmm. and so I was thrilled to have that sticker on the latest book. Yes, it looked excellent. Oh, good. I'm glad they got there in time. I try to get them out in a jiffy. All righty. Before we talk about your book, I have to ask, I'm guessing that there is a reason why your imprint is called Gorilla Girl, Inc. There's got to be a story. Right, right. Well, what happened was that my sister had to have surgery down in San Diego, and that was maybe 20 years ago. So I went with her, and the directions for the day after surgery were to walk all day long. So we went to the San Diego Zoo, such a nice, huge zoo, and walking and walking and walking. And when we got to the gorillas, I just stood there and gazed at them, appreciating them for a long time. And my sister, as we were leaving, stopped by the gift shop, and bought me a a T-shirt and a hat with the face of a gorilla on it, and she started calling me Gorilla Girl because I love gorillas. I love to look at them and wonder, what are they thinking? Mm -hmm. Which is similar to you because you try to wonder what are they thinking when you think about uh, criminals, right? Absolutely. Uh-huh. So, yes. so there is somewhat of a tie. Oh, thank you for sharing that with me. They are fascinating animals, aren't they? I mean, so highly intelligent. Yeah, and I think they have important thoughts going on in there, but I I wish we could find out what they are. Hmm, maybe a little research and another novel coming up, huh? <laughs> I did like to call uh, the... Gorilla Girl, Inc., the little subtitle for the imprint is Bold Black and White Words on the Page. And I've actually published one other person's uh, work, 
and I've been just invited to publish someone else's work. So I'm thinking about it, and I'm glad I already have an imprint and that kind of um, thing going. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, when then it's just going to mushroom from here. You know, once you get one, then you get two and four, and before you know it, you're going to be doing that full time. (laughs) We'll see what happens. Yes, we will. All right, June, what inspires you? I know you said that you're inspired by the obsession with what makes ordinary people mad enough to kill, but what inspired that inspiration to write crime novels? Well, it actually was based on um, what happened when my husband, who was a um, reporter for the Los Angeles Times, he uh, had worked there at the Sacramento Bureau for years and years, and so he got to be one of the highest-paid reporters. And the L.A. Times was trying to cut back on their expenses, so they were trying to get the high-paid guys to take early retirement, golden handshakes, you know? Yes. And uh, so they did actually end up somewhat like forcing my husband to retire early, and it just about killed him because he thought he was his job. So losing that really was devastating. And I thought, and at the time I was a creative writing teacher, so I was having my students write also. And so I was having them write about um, something that would kill somebody if they lost it. And it occurred to me, what if a little butcher lost his butcher shop when the superstore moves in. So that's what led to the first novel, House of Cuts. Mm-hmm. Basically, my, my novels are really crime fiction, but they're, I, what I've realized um, they are social justice crime fiction because the villain, I'm, I'm always interested in the villain and then stopping the villain from killing, but I'm interested in what's going on inside of the villain. Mm-hmm. So... You, almost in all my books, uh, something that they've suffered has led them to either want revenge or to plot, you know, um, what am I going to do to uh, get past this? How am I going to make myself be okay? Mm-hmm. And then they go in a bad direction. Well, you know, that's actually what happens. You, you hear about these mass shootings and it's disgruntled employees or someone has a beef with somebody else. It, you know, very seldom, I don't think, is it just clear blue random. I did just write an article for the uh, Northern California Sisters in Crime mm-hmm. newsletter. And so what I was talking about was how, um, like, uh, Charles Dickens and Jody Picoult and uh, so many authors, that's what happens in their books, that the villain is really wrong in some way, mm-hmm. or they feel they're wrong. Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily wrong, but... Yeah. They take it that way, right. and that leads to, you know, yep. crime many times. Wow, a lot of psychology to that, which brings me to my next well, question. Well, yeah, I do love the psychological mm-hmm. aspect. So it's also um, psychological uh, fiction, too, yeah. Does that involve a lot of research on your end? Well, I would say there's a ton of research, but... As far as the mental um, uh, machinations going on inside the author, I try to just put myself in their place. Mm -hmm. I create a um, background for them, 
And, of course, it's always got some kind of problems, usually with something to do with their childhood, of course. Can't forget that. And then with their um, setting, even as an adult, their work setting, their home setting. Um, so I try to put myself in their place and really just live through them right. to um, get the emotional part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the Hillary Broom crime novel series. How many books are there now? I'm now working on book six, six. and it's going to be set in Italy. It's called Fallen King, mm-hmm. and it, I'm going to Italy next uh, week, mm-hmm. actually. I'm leaving for Rome and Venice and then Prague and Krakow. Oh. So the next book will be set in Italy, book six, and book seven is set in Prague. And uh, so the book six has to do with um, kidnapping and um, sort of a cabal of, of not-so-great uh, religious guys, <laughs> sort of a, not the best uh, little Catholic church that you would want to visit. <laughs> and so I can't wait to um, get over there and really, you know. Oh, yes. Visit those places. Oh, my gosh. You will be steeped in inspiration. You're going to love it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the book that won the Firebird here, Nest of White Crows, that's book five? Right. That's book mm-hmm. five, yes. Now, that was sparked because I'm an, also I'm an English teacher at a community college in California. And so in uh, 2020, our governor signed what's called AB. 1460, which is the law that makes all community, all colleges, four-year and two-year, they must teach ethnic studies, an ethnic studies class. Students must take an ethnic studies class to graduate. So I know that there is going to be and is a pushback against that. So that's actually the, the premise of Book 5 is that uh, Hillary then co-teaches an ethnic studies class with a, a good friend of hers, an African-American uh, history professor, and they're co-teaching Introduction to Ethnic Studies. And then another professor's classes are all uh, centered around individualism and um, entrepreneurial entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And so one of her students is... Um, not of the most stable sort, and he's the one that uh, ends up leading a series of hate crimes that Hillary ends up having to... She's always to the rescue. She's the one that uh, helps to stop the um, murders or helps them to not get started in the first place. And what a title, Nest of White Crows. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, that's because um, the the uh, work-study students uh, who work on an orchard are called white crows because they're so special. And so they, because uh, white crows obviously are very rare, rare. and special. Mm-hmm. So uh, the white crows are the students who are... Um, the nest for the one who's pretty much deranged. So he he kind of hides among the normal students for a while until he starts taking um, acts that are 
you know, not socially acceptable. He's the one that leads the hate crime wing of the group. And Hillary Broom, who is she? Where did she come from? She is a reporter. She started out as a reporter. She started out as the reporter in another novel, actually, that I started a long time ago, and she was just the reporter. And then uh, my critique group friends told me, June, this is not one book. This is two books, and Hillary has her own story, and she has a secret that she wants to hide. She um, kind of goofed up at one point uh, in her life, so she doesn't want her byline to be too well-known. She doesn't want anyone investigating her past. So she takes a job in a small town, but um, then her first... Um, her first leap into the national limelight is when the butcher's um, artistry is discovered just as she goes to interview a manager in a superstore and finds the grisly remains of what the, the uh, butcher whose shop was killed by the superstore. He has decided to ruin the superstore's business. So mm. she discovers that, and she's drawn into the investigation to try to find who did this, and then she ends up um, tracking down the killer on a dark and stormy night, of course. <laughs> so there's, there's a lot. It's a very grisly one, that first one. Mm-hmm. She's probably fun to write. She is. I do love her. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. She has her own character arc. She was abandoned by her mother when when she was 10 years old. Her mother ran off with an artist teacher. She ran off to Polynesia. So Hillary was raised by her father, who was a newspaper reporter. And uh, so that's how she ended up becoming a reporter. And so she's got mother issues through the whole series. Uh, So at first, her mother is um, just lost and gone forever, and then she's hunting for her mother, and then eventually she finds her mother, and so she's got uh, mother-daughter issues. But luckily for Hillary, she has a very loving husband, and they have uh, he's her rock, and they do have um, a wonderful child as time goes by. It's fun writing a series because mm-hmm. the character gets to grow and develop right. over the arc of the whole series. Just like a family member. Yes. How did you name her? Gosh, that's such a good question. Um, I like the name Broom because of the sweeping things clean and yet also the traces of writing a broomstick. So the kind of antithetical, uh, good, scary... um, you know, suggestions of the room. I'm not sure. I, I, the Hillary, I'm not sure where that came from. It's not really related to uh, Hillary Clinton at all. Right. Um, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> I'm not sure where it came from. Some of these things, you know, they just pop up uh, in a writer's subconscious and we just go with them. I know. I know. I just, <laughs> I, I think it was the broom that kind of caught me. And then especially with the E, that's why I asked the question. It wasn't so much the Hillary. I, some For some reason, broom just struck me as there's 
There's got to be a reason for that. Character development. Do you have written outlines? I know you did initially. Eventually, do they take on a life of their own and lead you? They definitely do. The, the main ones do, although I do have a character diary on all of them. And I do, from time to time, need to look things up. And, uh, of course, things get added to them. But the cool part also about these series is that each series, you know, the villain is someone new, and then all the side characters are new. So um, I love character. I write character sketches first. Mm-hmm. So I already have uh, about 12 characters that are new for this new one, um, Fallen Kings. And um love writing character sketches because just, you just really get the background and their motivation and right. uh, they, they come alive really on the page that way for me. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. I ask that question often because there's so many different answers to that. Some folks are very strict about their character sketch or their character diary and they follow it to the letter. And then some people start with a vague idea and then this person just kind of grows into their own almost as if it was their child and, you know, just wanders around and does whatever he or she wants. I have a kind of a combination of that where I write a character sketch and then I put the characters into, and then I um, put them in teams. So there's Hillary's team, and then there's the villain's team. And then I write the plots. And um, with the plots, I have like A-line story, B-line story, C-line story, D-line story. So that falls like in a vertical waterfall of what does each point of view character want and who is their opponent. And so then um, as I go along kind of weaving, it's like a weaving process, mm-hmm. and then as I go along, then the characters sometimes need to change to have relationships with each other, to cross over the uh, vertical waterfall into the other character's story. So where they cross back and forth, then sometimes the characters do end up changing. You know, they 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 sometimes change quite a bit, and often they end up being each other's, like, one character uh, is then the biological mother of another character, but we don't know that for a long time. And so he thinks he's an orphan, but his biological mother really um, is a person, as a woman who uh, became an, uh, a nun, actually, so she could go into a convent near him and watch him grow up. But he doesn't know that. So at first, those were separate characters. But then I thought, well, uh, she can be his mother, you know. And then one of the other main characters, he's actually the biological father because he actually raped that woman who's the mother. And so, so, so weaving the plot with the characters often uh, modifies the characters naturally, you know, because our experiences change us, right? Absolutely. Yes. Well, listening to you, I, I'm thinking if a first time author that wants to write a novel that's character driven, it just sounds like there's so much to know and think about. Where does one begin? Well, that's, that's what happened with my first novel is um, that it had uh, about twice as many characters 
And I just started out, I knew I wanted to write a thriller. I didn't want to write a mystery because I didn't want a whodunit. I wanted to know, uh, in the thriller um, genre, then you know who's doing it, but you don't know if they're going to get away with it. So I did start out with my villain, but then the main protagonist was a different person. Right, Her name was Amy. <laughs> yeah, her name is Amy, and she was a school teacher in San Francisco. And I actually cannot remember exactly the relationship she had with uh, Melvin the Mad Butcher. But um, And then Hillary was the reporter uh, who was reporting on this story. Um, so uh, for a, a first-time author, you know, the thing is, and it's, I have a lot of writer friends. I, I'm lucky to be involved in about five writing groups up in Northern California. And we all know that, um, that your first novel, you just write it. You know, you write it to sort of get it out of the way. And then you either go back and you revise it and revise it and revise it and or you just put it away for years sometimes. Um, because when you start out, uh, you learn by doing it. That's the thing. You have to actually go ahead and do it. Like I had uh, dozens of how-to books because I, for one thing, taught creative writing. And I had written a lot of short pieces and had my students write them. A long novel is different. Most of my friends agree that you just start out like, you know, the pantser and the plotter thing. Mm -hmm. uh, some people write by the seat of their pants and some people plot it all out first. Well, the people that I know have just been been pantsers. They just they just had this story in their mind and heart. A lot of it's in your heart and your gut, and so you just start writing it the best you can. You can't really know what you have even until you've written it. Right. Although there are a few people that do um, plot them out from the beginning, but. Even then, almost always, the characters make them change the plot. Right. Almost always, it gets away from you. It is kind of a out-of-body experience, writing, mm -hmm. naturally, you know, because you're in your mind. Mm -hmm. You're not exactly in your body. You're really living in your own imagination. Um, so it's kind of a magical process. Mm -hmm. It's kind of addictive, too, I must say. Really kind of a neat, as you say, magical process. Now, you also write poetry and nonfiction. Yes, I write. I started out as a poet. Uh, my master's degree is in poetry, and I have two chapbooks I've uh, got published of my poetry. And then my poems seem to want to become stories, <laughs> um, not necessarily each individually, but that emphasis mm -hmm. shifted over to want to become stories. But the poetry, um, it also was kind of an altered state of being because uh, the poems would just arrive. The lovely thing about poems for me is that they would just arrive um, and I would have to pull over off the street to write them down mm -hmm. so I could catch them before they were gone. And they would kind of arrive whole. Mm -hmm. um, Interesting. They, you just keep writing. They just, they just come to you from the muse, and uh, they're just a gift from heaven. Where the um, novels, they're similar, but I think there's a lot more 
planning and a lot more intentionality. Your own intentionality is there with the novel. Sure. Whereas with the poems, you're just a vessel. I love that. You have to just pull over and start writing. I, they come whole. That's fascinating. Instead of just one random line or two, and then you've got to flush it out. You've got the whole thing. That truly is a gift. You know, um, have you heard of the poet William Stafford? Yes. Okay, so um, his son was at a uh, conference that I was at a couple years ago, and he told us that for his father, he would get up at four in the morning every morning and write a poem. And two things about that is that if the poem wasn't uh, living up to his standards, he would just lower his standards. And the other thing, that was his way to, you know, not just get taken away and stop writing. Right. And the other thing was that he would give up all seven of his books because he was National Poet Laureate. He would give up all of his poetry for the experience of writing the next one. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's the experience of being in that state of mind that's receiving the yep. poetry. Yep. You obviously do a great job explaining and with your work and with your background, so that ties in with the workshops that you also give. Just give us a little peek into that so folks might be interested to look that up. Oh, yes, yes. Um those are in the fall mostly now, and one was in fiction, short fiction, and one was in nonfiction, which would include memoir. So with the fiction one, uh, we're continuing on as a critique group, so in about five critique groups, but people love it so much, and they um, it was on Zoom because of the pandemic when it started, and so we've become just a really close-knit group of critique group. So I, I do love teaching and I love carrying on the teaching with the workshops. Excellent. Well, maybe head us in the right direction then. If folks want to find out more about you, your books and your workshops, where should they go? Yes, it's just www.junegillam.com. It's G-I-L-L-A-M, but it's often misspelled. So <clears throat> I have G-I-L-L-I-A-M uh, redirected to the correct place, and that um, that shows uh, my writing and the workshops and um, tells about Gorilla Girl and a few other things about me. Excellent. So it's junegillum.com. Are we missing anything, June, that you wanted to highlight today? I just wanted to say that I appreciate your um your award system and how the, how it benefits other people along with benefiting the writers, and um, love that you do have the podcast also, because I love podcasts. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yes, the whole charitable twist to it all. It truly is a win-win-win. Very seldom do you have a situation where everybody feels good regardless of the outcome. So thank you for saying that. And thank you for entering because your submission fee does help fund that and sends the pillowcases with your name. So I appreciate you as well. Alrighty. Well, you highlighted the next book, some six and seven coming up and workshops, poetry, fiction, nonfiction, and the Hillary Broom crime novel series. Everyone needs to check out all of those books. Website is junegillum.com. June, what a pleasure. I was so looking forward to this all day and uh, you just made my day. So thank you for being here. Oh, it's really been fun. Thank you.